revered and loved by millions across the UK, the Commonwealth and the world. The curtain came down on the reign of the longest reigning monarch in British history on the 8th of September 2022. It hardly seems possible that it's a year since Elizabeth II died. And in this special episode, history writer Gareth Streeter is joining me, royal commentator James Taylor, to reflect on her life and reign. Hi, Gareth. How are you feeling? I am uh, very good, James. Like you, I can't quite believe it's been a year um, since that big day. Um, but I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to discussing it with you and hopefully giving people the opportunity to reflect with us back on on that momentous event and the year that that's, that has followed it how are you I, i'm okay and uh, yeah it, it feels very strange to be looking back over that i think that it was quite a surreal time really and it's only when you look back that you're able to appreciate just what was happening and what a, a unique moment it was in our lives because you know, you and I are both of an age where we'd never seen the death of a monarch. We'd never seen any of the ceremonies. We'd read about them, we knew about them, but we'd never actually witnessed them before. And I think that it's only in retrospect that you're able to realise just how momentous all of that was. Uh, and I mean, not just us, um, my parents, for example, who, mm. let's just say they're not young, they'd never seen it either. Um, mm. So it, it makes you realise really not that many people had seen it before and probably most of those that had were probably too young to really remember it anyway yeah yeah I mean my I mean my parents are no longer with us but my dad was 13 in uh 1952 at the time right. uh that George VI died and I always remember him telling me um how he remembered because he was you know it was announced at 11 30 that the king had died in his sleep mm. and so he remembered being at school and being taken into a special assembly where they announced that the king had died and uh, I always remembered him telling me that just because, again, as I say, it was something that we'd never witnessed. Um, and so I, I remember asking him lots of details. And of course, as a 13 year old, he probably wouldn't have taken that much mm. notice mm. of the next happening. Um, but because I was you know, <laughs> that sort of royal history geeky child, mm. um, I was you know, wanting to know all the, the intricate details. And um, he just wasn't able to tell me to be quite mm, 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 mm. but um going back to the events of a year ago um i think that it's one of those things that for our generation it's that mm. that same thing of where you were you'd remember where you were in the yes. same way you'd remember where you were at the time of the abdication at the time that war was declared uh, when president kennedy was shot all of those and so i think that for for our generation it will be where we were when we heard the queen had died Absolutely. So where were you? Well, it's um, ironic, really, because I'd been at home during the, the day and I'd heard the, that the, the Queen was unwell and was under medical supervision. So I'd been watching the coverage all throughout the afternoon. But then I was supposed to be going out that evening and I was supposed to be picking someone up. And I thought, should I go? Should I not? And I thought, well, there's nothing I can do sat at home. So I may as well go. But no sooner had I got into my car and got no further than the end of the road, really, I heard then the announcement on BBC Radio. And so I went into uh, my friend's house and I said, Look, I'm really sorry, we, we can't go because I'm going to have to go back um, because the Queen has died. And, and mm -hmm. she was very upset anyway, and I don't think she'd have wanted to go. But I knew that I would be, would be very busy 
um, with requests and things. So I, I knew that I had to get back, but mm. I, I just, it was such a strange thing because knowing that the queen had been ill and in declining health, knowing her age, you know, it was not a surprise, but yet it was still a shock. And I think it mm. was that thing because no matter how much you are expecting it, when it happens, mm. it still somehow seems unreal. Mm. Mm. Well, she'd only been, I mean, was it a day, the day before or two days before where she'd um, appointed Liz Truss prime minister? And that was, was, of course, two, that picture. Yes, it was two days before um, when she had received Liz Truss at Balmoral. And of course, the pictures that you, you were talking about that, although she had her walking stick and she looked frail, she was still made up. She was still smiling. Yeah. You know, it, it, she while she looked frail, I would not have looked at those pictures and indeed didn't look at those pictures and think, mm. oh, there's something imminent. I, I think agree. The clue was that it had been originally um, she had been expected to travel back to Buckingham yes. Palace. Yes. Um, and that there was an announcement that for certainty in the outgoing and incoming prime minister's diaries, that they they were going to be received at Balmoral rather than in London. So I think that was a clue i think that even was a, so, quite a big clue because but even, yes uh, but, but even, just, even so i still think that you wouldn't have looked at those pictures and think oh she, she looks so terribly ill that within a uh, couple of days uh, she would i agree and actually even though i say it was a big clue and, and and i do think it was a significant moment but actually when someone is that age um and my gran was it was a very similar age to the queen and uh died earlier this year but you, there's normally quite a long period of they can't be moved at the moment. Things have, you know, actually wouldn't be quite a good idea. They can't make that. They can't go to that without death being literally the next day. You know, there's that 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 phase of someone's life often goes on for a couple of years. Now, to be to an extent, it had been to the Queen for the Queen for some time. But yes, I do think the Barrymoral thing. I did at the time remember being that significant because as I don't remember another occasion and. By all means, it may be that that a listener can correct me on this, where Elizabeth II has ever appointed a prime minister in any location other than Buckingham Palace. No, you're correct. Uh, no, she uh, hasn't. So, so um, obviously Victoria had, but that was very different. And what well, Victoria I, didn't go to Buckingham Palace for you. And, and also, yes. she would not allow anything to interrupt with her plans for you know if she was going to be in Osborne House she was going to be at Balmoral Water she wouldn't easily change her plans to go to yes well, after Prince Albert I shouldn't live in Buckingham Palace but to go to Windsor for example she wouldn't change her plans just because there was going to be a change of Prime Minister whereas um, with Elizabeth II one got the impression that she would have done although you know it was it would have been rare for that to happen sort of on without warning I've seen her get helicoptered in from I seen it on on the TV. I wasn't there from Windsor to Buckingham Palace to receive the Prime Minister, but I think that was for the dissolution of Parliament, the calling of a general election. Yes. But I think the but with the Balmoral um, appointment of of the Prime Minister, obviously the date was known for some time because everybody knew um, when the date of the Conservative Party leadership election uh, result was going to be. The, the Palace would have known that for some time. And therefore, the appointment of the prime minister would be the next day. So the fact that they obviously at one stage thought that they had the agility to get Her Majesty back to Buckingham Palace in time for that and then realised quite late that they weren't going to, it probably is significant. Well, well, it clearly was. We know that now. Indeed, indeed. 
but you know I, I just think that as I say it was one of those things that no matter how much you've been expecting it it was still something that was really momentous and I remember my friend John sent me a message actually and said um are you all right you know because he, mm. he said because you've been interested in the royal family and the queen in particular for so many years I know you're going to be very busy and indeed I, you know I was getting a lot of requests to for interviews on the radio and things like that but also he said I hope you managed to find some time to be able to reflect on how you think about it and, and that was something I think that was very sweet and something that I wouldn't mm. necessarily have thought of because I I generally don't think about things like that unless it's a member of your family or somebody that you or close friend or something um so I just thought that for somebody to have had that thought was mm. actually was very kind and very insightful but it was a a a moment actually where you you wanted to not in a voyeuristic way i hope not in a voyeuristic way anyway but to just take stock and think okay this is a very significant moment what how do how do i feel about this not how not how i don't mean how do i feel in terms of what's my truth about this situation but how am i going to mark this how am i going to remember this how am i going to organize my thoughts to deal appropriately with the grandeur of this moment indeed and i think that for you know people like you and me who who have always been interested in the royal family and had a real sense of affection for her as an individual mm. you wanted to get it right you didn't want to be you didn't want to be the you know that person that says the the wrong or the inappropriate thing and you also didn't want to you know and it, it is so for example i knew several people are saying oh i want to go and it said in advance when she dies i want to go and stand outside buckingham palace and i sort of think well even if she were there which she wasn't mm. there'd be nothing to see and that's why i didn't do that although i did go um a couple of days afterwards for the proclamation but that's because i want to see the proclamation and hear the proclamation yes. ceremony and so that was was again rather different because there was a reason for being there but one thing that really did strike me was you know looking in in the royal parks and in green park in particular were all the um floral tributes that had been left and particularly mm. there were an awful lot by from children and mm. so cards with mm. hand prints on and things saying you know queen and um i love you and i miss mm. you and all of those things and the number of people that had left you know after the after the sketch of the yes TV, yeah, yeah the um paddington bear um you know teddies and also left uh, jars of marmalade mm. and i wished that i'd taken one with me because because i do make my own marmalade every year mm. and so i wished i'd taken a jar and left it although although having said that it would have been a silly thing to do because they weren't actually allowed to to accept them they would have been disposed of but um but yeah the, the number and i i did think that was very sweet i did think that there was an awful lot of genuine affection yeah there. yeah i i agree i think and the only reason I'm being hesitant, I don't, I completely agree about there being genuine affection. I had with the Paddington, um, with the Paddington episode, and I was at party in the palace during the Jubilee. And so I was there when that was broadcast for the first time. Yeah. And it so, was very, that was I, but I didn't, I didn't know you then. So I didn't see you. Oh, no. Oh, I didn't see you. And um, I, I was quite emotional about that i thought that was a very when he you know he's thank you mom for everything i thought that was quite wonderful and i think it's brilliant that she did it and 
the only I know this will sound very corny, but I remember thinking at the time, that's just what I'd say if I could say that to her. Well, quite. And I think that's the point, you know, if you're going to have someone speaking, the Queen's normally the person that sort of embodies the nation. So if the nation wants to say something to the Queen and you need another figure to embody the nation, Paddington's a pretty good one. But I think where I had a, a moment when I was reflecting on the way people would were, were commemorating the death, with the amount of Paddington-centricness of it, I was slightly a part of me thought, hang on a minute, this this wonderful woman reigned for 70 years. She did remarkable things and acts of service. Her reign wasn't about one moment with Paddington toward the end. That said, I think that's probably me being ungenerous. And I think what the Paddington um connection was able to do was to it was a way for families to, to involve children very much in yes. the moment and yes. probably to let children lead a degree of it and express their own feelings in a way that was relatable to them and that's very it was genuine to them but, uh, but the thing i would also say is bear in mind the historical context because the jubilee had been only what three months earlier mm. and so i think had it been longer than that then people may have you know the Paddington effect might have worn off a bit but I think because it was such a novelty at the time and because it was so well received it was so recent and so clear in people's memories that I think that that's why they associated with it although having said that yes I do get your point and I do kind of agree that after so many years of service to her country and to the commonwealth um, that that's how she's remembered. But having said that, you know, she seemed perfectly willing to take part in that and, and was absolutely more, you know, and and her uh, comic timing was marvellous. And so yeah. you know, she she could have been an actress, couldn't she? And so I think that, well, perhaps she was to a degree to have to mm. uh, act on the world stage in the way she did. But I think that I think that's that partly accounts for it. So I think it is partly the, you know, the sense of it was only a couple of months before. And so therefore, it was so fresh in in everyone's minds. Um, it, it it is, and I guess I guess that's sort of what I mean. Is there was a lot of attention to what's just happened, yeah. rather than what rather than the the, the broader historical context. Yeah, and and to be fair, of course, there are other opportunities, and we we had you know some good shows were on in terms of you know documentaries of the Queen's life, and obviously the coronation. Sorry, not the coronation, the funeral. Yeah, drew a lot of attention to that too so i'm not i i'm just sharing how how a slight bemusement i had rather than being critical of it yeah if that makes sense yeah um and of course one of the one of the real highlights for me although it's extremely sad one was the going to see the lying in state um but going to see the procession for the lying in state before and so i had traveled down early that morning um i was i was actually being filmed for for local tv traveling down to so so they saw me leaving the house and getting on the train and and following you know all of that and then of course we were sat there for hours waiting for something to happen but it was at 222 that the procession left buckingham Mm. palace to go to westminster hall and of course we saw the king and his siblings marching Mm. behind the coffin and um and the Prince of Wales and Duke of Sussex and you know her other grandchildren and 
the Duke of Gloucester and um, and other relatives. And but I think the thing that that struck me more than anything else was that you know the moment that because until that point people had been sort of friendly and, and mm. chatting away in quite hushed and respected respectful tones but even mm. so chatting away you know as soon as the cortege left the palace there was complete silence in the mall and you could only hear the gun salutes and the the marching of the the horses hooves and mm. and that that really struck me it was it was the you know the complete silence and the complete you know that sort of sense of tension mm, uh, and that respectful mm. um, quality of it that that did really strike me but I'll tell you what I thought was really poignant mm. about that more than anything else was seeing the imperial state crown on top of the coffin mm, mm. and the reason I say that is because I had been a few times towards the end of the queen's reign standing in the mall to watch the procession for the state opening of parliament. So anyone who's seen the procession for the state opening of parliament will know that the imperial state crown is carried in procession ahead of the monarch at uh, mm. parts of Westminster and travels in Queen Alexandra's state coach um, ahead of the monarch in what used to be the Irish state coach or the Australian state coach and, and now it's usually the Diamond Jubilee state coach. Mm. Um, and then because the queen used to wear the George IV diadem in the procession and then would change into the crown once she reached, once she reached the palace of Westminster in, in the mm. robing room. And so seeing the coffin being taken, uh, and the crown on the coffin being taken on that same route that you had seen mm. being taken so many times during her life for, for it to be worn for the ceremony of the stating of the parliament, I think that was the thing that, that really struck me. Mm. Mm. Um, but it was partly that and also partly thinking the next time we see that it will be on Charles's head at the coronation. Mm. So I think it was it was partly that, too. But as I say, that was the thing that I found really very moving, seeing it being carried in, the, in you know, on the same processional route. Um, mm. But rather than it being there for for reasons of state, being there for you know, such a, a sad occasion. And uh, and of course, then going back for the funeral. The following week um because i had been in church on the sunday morning so i couldn't go earlier and so i had booked in a hotel for the night and thought well i'll go like i did at the jubilee and go at, you know very early and be there for mm. four in the morning or something well when i got there on the sunday afternoon i looked and i thought there's no chance because it was just so busy in the mall already mm, mm. unless i stay here now i'm not going to see anything so i did i, I went and Luckily, I'd taken a camping chair with me. I didn't have a sleeping bag or anything, but I did have a I did have a thick coat, and so yeah, just sort of pitched up and 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 stayed there. And again, there was you know sort of great sort of camaraderie in the in the crowd. Mm, mm, I, mm. The thing I do remember is that you know when the funeral was on, very much like at the coronation, we weren't able to see it but they did broadcast the service on loudspeakers mm. so you were able to join in with the hymns and with the national anthem and things um but there was just so many people just openly weeping in the street and i didn't i didn't expect that mm. I, didn't, I mean i expect people would be moved mm. i just didn't expect so many people to be in such floods of tears that was that was something that that did surprise me yes I 
I can understand that. I think people were, were crying for lots of different reasons. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that I don't cry very much about things in my own life, but I do cry a fair amount about at films or books or, or things like that. So I'm not adverse to tears by any means, but I have always had a strong sense that when you admire any public figure, which you 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 can absolutely do, you you do have admiration for them, you do have respect for them. I think you can even have a form of love for them, but you don't know them. And I think it's very I think that must always be remembered. And they don't offer you knowledge of them it, it, in that sense. It's not a it's 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 not on offer. And I think it always worries me slightly. And I think we saw this a lot with the death of the late princess of Wales. You might be too young to actually remember, but not that young. I, I was I was what how old was I? Twelve at the time. I was fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the nervousness I have about these sorts of things is that I don't actually think it's for us as as strangers to appropriate the grief of, say, a family member. And that's why I was slightly uncomfortable with some of the language around the Queen's death of all. It's like losing my own grandmother, which I, I understand. Um, and in a sense, I see that she was the mother of the nation, the grandmother of the nation. But actually, I don't think that's what it is. I think... I think there was grief, but I think most of the grief was really grief for, 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 for what she represented in our national story that she she no longer could because she's not with us anymore. And that certainty, that constancy, that continuity in which she very much herself believed herself to be a figure and the monarchy as well to be a figure of continuity. Um, and that was gone and that was strange. And that was a, a, a moment, but actually one of the times I did get emotional in the funeral was I'd recently written, um, I'd not long at that point finished um, my uh, a biography I'd written of Prince Arthur Tudor, who dies young and has a funeral, which is well documented. And I had found writing about that in quite vivid detail because we have quite vivid detail, quite powerful. And I felt when... Th- when looking when watching the queen's funeral because so many of the aspects have have remained from historical royal funerals that you and i know they haven't remained as much as they were reinvented about 100 years ago and revived to in order to create a more mystique around royal ceremony but nevertheless i think the breaking of um the 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 rod the the rod or the staff of service yes. Yes. which I'd written about with Prince Arthur which I found quite emotional because people started weeping when that was and that's what to any great lord or prince or or monarch that 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 was the official symbol that they um their that their reign or their office was no more that um everyone was no longer um bound to them that their staff were effectively dismissed you know they were they were now unemployed that happened at the breaking of that staff and then it was thrown into the ground with them. And when that happened, and I didn't know that that was going to happen at the, that I found very evocative and very moving. Mm. And well done for getting in mention of your book, Arthur <laughs> Lost Brother, which is available for people to, to order now. Is, I wasn't intentional actually. It did just, um, it just, just Arthur, there is no, there is no part of life that Arthur can't touch. 
how very convenient. Mm. Um, but what I want to say, no, but um, but I think you're right. But I think it's, as well, it's for different reasons, isn't it? Because I think as well as the loss of somebody who had meant a lot to a lot of people, mm. it was knowing that that was the end of an era, that things are going to change. And I don't think that as a, as not just as a nation, but as people, we don't necessarily deal with change terribly well. You know, we mm. are afraid of change. And I think that part of it is that sense of stepping into the unknown, even yes. though even though you know the, the current king had been Prince of Wales for such a long time, we knew a lot about him and his character, then mm. it still it was still a seismic change and something that you know that we'd not seen before. And so I think that was also part of it. I, I think it was. And the, the irony, I suppose, of the Queen, of the late Queen being the symbol of con of constancy and continuity was that she presided over an era of such rapid change. And in terms of in terms of how visual and demonstrative and obvious that change was, I would say that era was probably more or less unprecedented mm. in 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 British history, I appreciate Victoria's reign would also have felt oh, very... Do you know, I was just going to say, you know, yeah, I, but... you know what I was saying? That about, as a child, asking my dad about the, the death of George VI, mm. one other thing I remember asking him was also, do you think that this, you know, the reign, the reign of, the, of Elizabeth II saw as much change as in mm. social, you know, in, inventions, things like that, as Queen Victoria's reign? And wanted to wanted that sort of debate with him again. I was obviously that sort of royal geeky child, but yeah. um, but I do remember asking that and thinking, you know. And again, what did he was, say? What did he say? I think he I think he said that the current that well, obviously not now that at the time the current Queen's reign was probably the one because there had been sort of greater technological changes um, over that over that period. Um, and, and sort of greater social changes than there were during Queen Victoria's reign. I think there were a lot of, of both in Queen Victoria's reign, but I think that, I think he was probably right. I think that when you look at Britain now compared to 1952, I think that the, the scale of change is probably, probably more than between mm. 1937, uh, 1837 sorry, and 1901. I, they, I mean, it, it is hard to quantify, isn't it, in that they were both, well, it depends what you know. What what do you count as you know? You, yeah, you I, I mean, if in the beginning of Queen Victoria's reign, you know, the men of high office were wearing tights and wigs still, whereas I think that's fair to say. Whereas at the end of Victoria's reign, men were going outside to a phone box and making phone calls. Okay. That that is huge. Um, but then if look at Elizabeth II's reign. You know, we've not 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 say we're in the UK, but we're humanity have put men on the moon. As a as a historian and as a, a history writer, how do you think that history will remember her? Oh, undoubtedly, is one of the most successful monarchs of, of all time. Um, I mean, quantifying success among monarchs is very difficult historically because the 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 essay question for William the Conqueror was infinitely different to the essay question for Elizabeth II. But if you were to distill it down to who who fulfilled their brief most successfully, it's difficult to have anyone that did it better than Elizabeth II. And a cynic might say, well, what did you know, what did she have to do? Monarchs don't have the high stakes that they used to. And I say, well, you know, the fact that monarchy survives at all in, in 2023 is, is pretty remarkable. 
um, the fact it I think, survives. I think, I think you got it wrong. You would still yeah. know about it. I think so. I mean, the fact the fact that it survives with as much popular support as it does is almost certainly a direct result of the efforts, endeavours, and skills of of Elizabeth Alexandra Mary. Mm, That's indeed. which and was the Queen. Just to bring it back to that address on her twenty first birthday, mm. my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. And mm. indeed, it was. It, you know, there was she had that that public service almost running through her veins. Mm. I would mm. say. And you know, you touched on it earlier. Two days before she died, she received Liz Truss as Prime Minister at Balmoral, mm. and only the day before she died she was approving the appointment of junior ministers in her cabinet. Mm. And it was only, I think the thing that we, the time that we knew that there was something a bit amiss was that she was too unwell to join the virtual Privy Council meeting that evening and mm. it was postponed. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when you think that only the day before she died, she was still at her right. desk, yeah. she was still working, um, so I remember saying this on the radio at the time, and I, I stand by it now. I The thing that I took, took great comfort from was that she died as she lived, as, mm, mm, as a queen, mm. and she was still working as queen. And I think that, I, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't know her personally, but I would have thought that if she had a long period of inactivity where she hadn't been able to do that, mm. I think that that would have been the biggest sadness for her. I agree. She had she had carried on, you know, into her nineties. Um, carried on during, you know, even after losing Prince Philip, she was at the state opening of Parliament only a few weeks later. Mm. You know, she, it meant a lot to her that she should carry on doing that, and despite increasing frailty, she carried on doing as much as she could. Mm, mm, and so mm. I think that that for me was that thing that it embodied that that level of service that she had made that promise and she never deviated from it mm, mm. and so i, I completely think, agree I, I think that and, and yes you know i i do uh, without wanting to sign a complete sick about because i do appreciate that the role of monarchy has changed and it may only have been reading state papers and signing them and turning up at events and and waving at people and whatever but all of those things she did well you know you mm. couldn't criticize the way in which she was devoted to that and I think that what was very telling is that I do actually number among my friends lots of people who are either not fans of the royal family or are indifferent to them mm. not one of them and and you know they wouldn't hold back just because they knew that that mm. I was uh, a, you know great supporter of hers not one of them said anything that was critical of her as a person none of them yeah. criticized the, the way in which she devoted herself to her duties um and, and i think that was very telling and i don't think it was just because people were afraid to say the wrong thing i think that there was you know even people who are not supporters of the royal family i think were hard pressed to say something that they didn't admire the uh, the effort to which she had fulfilled her her duties i I, th I think that is true i think there was a sense among the republican movement i'm not talking about individuals with views but the organized republican movement that they needed to play that very very carefully because any public support they might be able to build up could be crushed quite quickly if they if if they got that wrong um but uh, but i agree she gave a um 
a, a pretty faultless performance that it's quite hard whatever your view on the institution of monarchy it's pretty hard not to applaud the way that she did her job and i thought what was also interesting was because i have you know background in media and i am very cognizant of what's on how people are reacting to what's on i did think the fact that even when we were sort of six seven eight nine days um into after her majesty's death and into the new reign it was still dominating pretty much all the broadcast mm-hmm. coverage across the you know, tv radio news and non-news people would start getting restless about that but actually people didn't um now of course that's partly because these days what's it matters on the bbc you go and you watch your netflix or, or whatever so you, people are less bound to it but i think in previous similar occasions be like yeah all right we've had enough now can we just get back to normal life and i didn't sense much no but we did get that only um only the year before with um with prince philip's death yes there were people complain and you know the (laughs) the media landscape had not changed within that 18 months um Mm. people were then complaining oh why is it on bbc one and bbc two or why is it you know when they could easily watch a a streaming service elsewhere um yeah yeah but there, there didn't seem to be those those same sorts of complaints um, mm. at this time. Um, but you know, just looking again at, at her life, you know, after declaring that she would she would devote herself to to duty, she did then come to the throne not long afterwards because, of course, her father died. Yes, when she was only twenty five, and of course, she mm. was um, a young wife, had two small children, and you can't. I think underestimate what a, a real change that was to her personal life and her circumstances, because she'd had a degree of privacy, a degree mm. of you know being able to be a, a young mother and and uh, and also you know a young naval naval wife uh, living in in Malta for part mm. of the time, and then after that, and I the one thing that I always struck me was you know when you saw those newsreel pictures of her descending the, the steps of the plane mm, to mm, returning mm. home from from Kenya where she was on tour um that when I'd seen Lady Pamela Hicks interviewed because of course she went as a mm. even she was Prince Philip's cousin was a lady in waiting yes the tour. cousin uh, of Prince Philip's yes and had looked and said um oh look they've sent the hearses meaning that they'd sent the the big royal Rolls Royces rather than mm. her own car which was in yeah. Edinburgh Green and so you know that was that I think that was for her that moment that she saw oh it's always going to be yes like this yes you know, that was the the change for her I, I think the moment of realization yes I, I think that's right and I thought it was very interesting that when the current Prince of Wales when he was Duke of Cambridge when he was first married and first had a young family was quite jealously guarded the fact he was going to have about five years where they prioritized their family life um and him having a degree of normality with a job as a non-full-time working royal which got them a lot of criticism um a lot of lot of criticism you know work shy willy and it, uh... yeah it all exactly and but you know he was doing it because he knew that a day would come and that day has now already come because he's prince of wales and the direct heir to the throne where this will be his life and 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 that's that but 
Elizabeth II never really had that window. I mean, as you said, she maybe had two or three years after that. So she was still heiress but... presumptive at the time, and her father was still she was. ill. So um, because George VI had um, had had a serious operation um, in 1948, only just after the, the current king was born. Mm. Uh, sorry, shortly before. And so therefore, you know, she'd had to act as a council of state on several occasions. Yes. Or she'd had to stand in for her father at, at ceremony. So if you look in the year before she became queen, not only did she take the salute at Trooping the Colour on his behalf, but she also um, received um, the uh, state visit um, only a few weeks later. Mm. Mm. And so she was having to, you know, step up and you know, read his speech at the state banquet and, and act as the, the hostess for that. And so mm, you, know, mm. you, you saw that her, uh, you know, that it was coming to, she was having to take on more of the, the responsibilities even before then, oh, you know, the, the few years before she became mm. queen. Of course, you know, she, again, she had two young children. Of course, not, you know, there was quite a gap between uh, the Princess Royal and, mm. and the the Duke of York, but uh, then she went on to have two children and was, of course, the two more children, was the first monarch since Queen Victoria um, to have a child you know, while she was on the throne. And so mm. again, that must have been must have been difficult for her to be able to um, to be able to balance those responsibilities of a yes. family and also all of the, the great responsibilities of state. Huge, and it's very interesting to how public attitudes um, um, change as well. Because I can't remember whether the Queen would have been pregnant with Andrew or Edward at this point. When was the when was the um, Duke of Edinburgh born? Do you remember? Was he nineteen sixty four? Nineteen sixty four. Yeah, there were four royal births because. Um, because um, James Ogilvie was born, uh, Lady Helen Taylor and mm. uh, Lady Sarah Chatto. You know, they were all born within a few months of each other. Um, and so people were having bets on, you know, whether they'd be boys or girls and who'd be first and, all, you know, all of that sort of thing. Because they didn't mm. announce in those days, you know, who would be, you know, who was, you know, how far along they were. Yes, 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 yes. So, you know, they just withdrew from uh, from engagements at, at a certain point. Uh I remember once watching some old news footage, which must have been on a documentary or YouTube, I don't know which, um, from 1964 when they were sort of doing Vox Pops, uh, I guess, I don't think they called them Vox Pops then, of um, the general election of 1964. Mm. And they were asking, because there was um, Alec Douglas Hume, who was the Conservative Prime Minister, um, was up against Ted, um, not Ted Heath, Howard Wilson, yes, Labour. And there was a man... They're interested. What are you going to vote in the general election? And he said, "Well, I'm not very happy with the current government, but I'm going to vote Conservative." And they said, "Well, why? Why are you going to vote for them if you're not happy?" He said, "Well, I just think with the Queen at the moment, um, in her condition or whatever phrase he would have used, it's not fair to force a change of government on her. She's got more than enough going on at the moment." And I thought that's a very different, respectful um, attitude. But it's interesting that perhaps in a sense, the country were minded of the unusualness of having a pregnant sovereign. But of course, we did see a different side of the royal family with um, the royal family documentary in, in 1969, which, of course, I'm too young to remember, but having seen it on, in clips, but it, it is now, you know, it did leak onto YouTube a few years ago. Have you seen and, it all the way through then? Because I yes, never have. Yes, it did leak onto YouTube. And right, I think, you know, right. It was taken down, but then appeared back and things like that. Um, 
but you saw a very different side of her and yes some of it probably was staged you know in terms of going into the shop at Sandringham to buy ice lollies for uh Prince I've Edward. seen that clip yeah. Yeah. yeah but but even so I think the thing that that you didn't wouldn't have known before and actually I I, I will say that you know during uh Covid mm. because um a lot of her engagements were virtual so you actually saw her interacting with people far more than because mm. you know if you if you saw her being filmed you know and she was going and, and meeting people in a line you you might have just overheard a snippet of the conversation yes, yes, really yeah. and I think that when that Royal Family documentary was broadcast was the first time that people had heard her speaking conversationally either mm, with mm. her family with uh with the prime minister with other mm. government ministers with ambassadors you know because her style of speech, as it would be for you or me or anyone else, would be very different from if you were standing and making a, a public... Yes. You know, when she was opening Parliament or when she was doing her Christmas broadcast would be when people had normally heard her. So I think to be able to hear her in mm. conversation with other people, I think, was would, would have been something that was was quite a, a pleasant surprise that that she, you know, that she did actually sound... That was very relatable, you know. Th that they sort of laughed at a lot of the same things that you or I might, or uh, that you know, and they, just they that they do them. things like they go into a shop and they pay for stuff. I mean, I remember I've still got friends who've said, obviously, they've not seen, they're not the generation that would have seen the '69 documentary, but would still say things like, "Oh, did you know the Queen doesn't know how to use money?" And apparently, there's some clip where once someone gave her some money and she didn't know what it was, and I'm like, oh, "I don't know where this mystical." clip you know as i've never seen it's never seems to have surfaced anywhere but you know just that's that program just would just put pay to all those sorts of stories and there of course the queen knows how to go to a shop and buy her son an ice cream or whatever it was well she was taken to shops as a child and so yes. you know they they would go and spend you know use their spending money like like other children would although for them it'd be far more of a novelty than it would be for for other people but you know i think that I yeah think that, the idea that she was completely guarded and would have no idea, I think he's is overegged in the in the media. Oh uh, yes, I think so. I mean, and I think that's what the and and then some people, of course, were always critical of that documentary, saying, "Well, that that begun the demystification of monarchy and it Let, led to the restitution of follow." Too much light, lighting on the magic, daylighting. Yes, the but I, I I don't agree. I mean, I think you do have to you do have to keep things moving slowly forward you just you just do it in a way that's that's mindful and careful and 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 holds true to the values that you're trying to preserve but i i think a degree of and this was the 60s for for crying out loud you know a degree of lifting the veil wasn't was necessary mm -hmm. i'll tell you one thing that did sort of really strike me was that you know she always said that she had to be seen to be believed yes that she was always, I think, mindful of the the threat to her, but she never let it never let it overwhelm her. She was still appearing in public, and so you know, if you look in 1981, only a few mm. weeks before uh, Charles and Diana were married, mm, she mm. was shot at at Truth in the Colour. Yes, she, yes. You know, she was not to know that they were blanks that were being. No, of course she wasn't. No. Um, but you know, when you look at that back. And, and indeed, there was a documentary a few years ago where you saw the Duke of Kent, who was riding behind her mm. on that day, seeing that footage and, and 
you know, whether he'd seen it back before, but he was certainly commenting on it. And you cannot fail to see how she kept that horse under control and simply carried on. And the only casualty was that she lost the garter star from her uniform. Because you know, if you see pictures, then she was just wearing the sash and no star. Yeah, yeah. It was retrieved for the you know, in time for the balcony appearance. But but you know, to take nothing away from the fact that she showed real grace under fire. Mm-mm-mm. I I think she probably had, and I I'm speculating because obviously I've never had this conversation with her, but or indeed ever had any conversation with her. But I think there was huge threat to the Queen of all the royal family and what they do because the truth is you can only make things so secure and so safe and have lots of people approach you. You know, you do have to make a degree of choice between those two things which isn't say that the security teams don't do an excellent job of keeping them as safe as possible. So I think for the Queen's logic would simply have been, well if I go and someone shoots at me and I'm dead, that's not great. But if as a result I stay behind closed doors and don't go out and do my job. I may as well be dead. So you know, there's no point in not taking that risk, which is incredibly courageous. Um, I'll tell you what. Also, I do remember um, uh, that I do remember from life was, um, you know, you remember the the Windsor Castle fire. I do. Ninety two. Ninety two. Um, that was actually on my eighth birthday. Oh right. It was because I and and of course it was the Queen's wedding anniversary as well, her forty fifth wedding anniversary. Um, but I remember coming home from school and watching. Um, the you know, Windsor Castle in flames, but also seeing her just watching that. And of course, it was only a few weeks after that that she made that famous Anna mm. Sorkis speech. 1992 is not a year I will look back on with undiluted pleasure. It has been, in the words of one of my more sympathetic correspondents, Ananas Horribilis. Mm. Do you know who that sympathetic correspondent was? Uh, I've seen him interviewed, but I can't recall yeah. his name it now. It was Sir Edward Ford, who had been her uh, assistant private secretary. Right. And you're in her reign. Um, I think so. I think that was it was his words rather than rather than the Queen's. Well, um, it was, and but apparently he has. I've heard him say he got the he got the Latin grammar on that a bit wrong. Yes, and it shouldn't be quite. Is, is that true? If you heard that? Um, yes, I have. I have. Uh, I couldn't tell you what it was because I never studied Latin at school. But um, but no, yeah, we're not of that generation, are we? No, no. My dad did because he yeah. went to school, you know, in the fifties. But um, but no, sadly not. Um, but you know, if you think as well that I, I think that looking because I've I've seen that speech in full recently, rather than just the you know mm. that short extract, and it's all the more all the more poignant for the fact that she had a very sore throat, um, yes. partly because of the Windsor Castle fire and partly because she had a bad cold, but also I think that the way in which it was said with a real sort of sense of humility, mm, and that mm, I mm. think you. When people say that the Queen, you know, has never complained, never explained, they've never seen that speech, I would say. I know. I mean, the whole, and because she really dresses head on, doesn't she, with the whole um, um, no institution, city, monarchy, whatever, can expect to be free from the scrutiny of those that give it their support, not to mention those who don't. So that's quite, it's quite loaded. Mm. And it was her. And of course, um, she mentioned city because it was the Lord Mayor's Corporation of London. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, I agree. And that, I think, is what we have seen so much in her reign, which is this constant, a sort of never complain, never explain, except, and this is such a rare gift, just knowing the one or two moments where you deviate from that that tried and tested mantra. 
Well, I think that it's, you know, when we were talking about the coronation, we we're looking at ceremonies and how they're invented. Uh, and we talked about George V and Queen Mary. I think it's very telling that she was their granddaughter and that she'd seen the success mm. that they had had with reinventing the monarchy after the First World War. Yes. Uh, and with the ceremonies of the Jubilee and, and all of those things. And I think that they, for all that George V and Queen Mary were seen, you know, it was commented on that it was an alien and uninspiring court. Mm. They actually had, or had people to tell them, uh, had a very good idea of mm. the popular mood. And I think that, again, she had that. She was mm. able to say. And I think what was very telling, and, and one of the lesser reported parts of that Annus Horribilis speech, was when she talked about um, the bishop who was uh, talking to Queen Victoria about praying for the royal family. Mm. And he said that no one can pray too heartily. And that Queen Victoria had replied to him and said, no, not too heartily, but too often. And so I think that that was her way of saying that there'd been too much of uh, coverage of the royal family and that mm. needed to, you know, they needed to take a step, not the royal family, but, you know, everyone needed to take a step back and and view things with the with more perspective rather than mm. the sort of hysteria mm. that was, was facing them at mm. that point. And of course, again, uh, only five years later and just after the, the death mm. of uh, Diana, Princess of Wales, there was, of course, their golden wedding. And yes. I, one of the most, I think, moving things she ever said was when she talked about Prince Philip, when she said that he doesn't mm. take kindly to compliments, but quite simply he had mm. a strength and stay. Yes. And that, this con that she and his family and the whole country owed him a debt greater than he would, he would claim and we should ever know. And I think that was so moving that she would have said all of that in public mm. to her husband. Um, in front of so many people and so again you know when people say that she was cold-hearted and show emotion again I don't think they've seen that I don't think that they've seen the real depth of emotion that she was able to convey in just those those few mm. words although it was not said in a, in a real sort of romantic and schmaltzy way but what do people expect it's it's just burst into song or something I no, mean that, that emotion was clearly there very much that. yeah I mean there is real dignity in 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 restrained affection, I think the fact that the role the role her station in life, probably her personality and certainly her generation would not encourage her to to share that sort of emotion as demonstrably as perhaps people born when we were born or younger. But the fact she still chose to do it, knowing that it doesn't come so naturally, makes it I think far more meaningful, impactful, and emotional. Indeed, indeed, and. I think that, and it was funny because Prince Philip had spoken about her only the day before and, and again was was not quite emotional, but but certainly showed his great affection for her as well. And I yes. think that, you know, when you when you saw them together, you could see, I, I always got the impression, and, and I, I mean, I only saw them together as, you know, an elderly couple, but you sort mm. of got the impression that they were sort of egging each other on you know mm, to take enjoyment mm. from things and that they were sort of spurring each other on to to go there and to to take you know as much enjoyment from everything as they can and to carry on doing that that duty mm, that mm, they were mm. in it together and they did seem a real partnership and i think that 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 was evident whenever you when you know whenever you saw them and i think as well that they both had the sort of sense of humor that they would both notice things in mm. the crowd and that they would you know as soon as they were driving off in the car they'd be talking about what they'd seen and who they'd seen and, and mm. all of that mm. sort of thing mm. and i think that they were 
just such a great team, really. Mm. I think one of the, the things sort of in, in our living memory that was a real stand-up moment was that historic state visit to, our, to the Republic of Ireland. Mm. Mm. I think that that was a real, a real triumph for diplomacy. I yes. think that, that, yeah. that yeah. for me, was a real sort of stand-up moment of her reign. Um, mm. Watching that on, on television, uh, you know, watching her go and lay the wreath at the the site mm. of the Easter Rising uh, and at the state banquet uh, and speaking in Gaelic, um, mm. all of those things. I think that I think it was more than just a you know a, a calculated PR stunt. I think that it, there was genuine feeling and genuine affection there. I and think she, so. and also that that the, you know there was a sense of danger to that because there had been protests um, planned ahead and, and and whatever, but. You know, as soon as she'd arrived, the mood did seem, although admittedly, you know, only from a distance, did seem to change. And I think that that was, again, said a lot for her character, mm. um, that she should do that. And also, you know, one one mustn't forget that um, Lord Mountbatten had been had been killed mm. in the Republic of Ireland in, in 1979. And um, and so it was, I think, a, a very significant moment. Um, it, it, it was a significant uh, moment, which a lot of people... People younger than us won't, as they look back and understand why it was so significant. Now, I suspect that our content does not necessarily have a lot of um, Gen Z <laughs> listeners. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure that we are down with the kids. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know we do funky raps and stuff to bring in. We don't, by the way. Disclaimer: <laughs> That's not true. Right. If you are a younger Gen Z, Gen Z, Gen Z, I'm not sure how we're saying it. Um, listener, you are very, very welcome. We love having you as part of our community. But I suspect that's not our defining demographic. But what I find interesting, um, with because I'm quite involved, um, involved in lots of things, but I'm quite involved in local politics where I live. And when I speak to people who are involved in politics, so politically literate, um, who are 20 years younger um, than me, so in very young adulthood, they don't really understand. You're, you're saying young adult or just I, I'm. I'm <laughs> what well, did we decide we were? We were um, late youth. Well, no, we did. No, I, I'll tell you what we decided that you were in early middle age. Did and we? That I was, yes, and that I was still in late youth because I've not yet yet got to that birthday with a naught on the end. So I'm I'm oh, still pushing. I'm, I'm pushing the envelope. I'm not sure we decided that I was in a different age bracket to you, but you may have decided that. Anyway, but these very young adults, or people who are 21, 22, and they don't, they don't understand the significance of Northern Ireland because when we were growing up, it was on the news every day. It was. And, were on the yeah, news every and, day. And, you know, and, and I mean, I'm old enough to remember and not really understand the significance of it, but, you know, seeing bombings in, in London, in Manchester, and of course in Northern Ireland itself. And no, you know, and, knowing about and of course there was the whole thing wasn't there that uh, when jerry adams was on the news that his voice had to be dubbed his voice by an and his image face was first yes. out, yeah but yet but yet there was no censorship of of what he was saying because the media was... outlets deliberately chose to misunderstand the law but yes, basically the idea was that his voice would be silenced that was the law so you can mm -hmm. broadcast his voice meaning don't show him, <laughs> but they yeah. just used the words and changed the voice. Yeah. So there was a deliberate yes. misunderstanding yes. of the law. No, no, I understand that, but what I'm saying is that you know it, it did seem to make a bit of a, a mockery of it. But but of well, course, that they were trying to make yes. a mockery of but it. My, but my point essentially is that you know you and I still, even though we'd have been children at the time, we're still old enough to remember that being yes. very current. Absolutely. In the news. 
Um, and so I think that, you know, people who are younger wouldn't necessarily understand the significance of... Well, well they wouldn't. Visit, I, because I remember. that would never have happened 10 years before. No, and, and I remember growing up, people were genuinely quite scared about the idea of going to London. It's like, oh, I might get bombed when I go to London. Or even Bristol people. I mean, and you weren't going to get bombed in Bristol. But, yeah. um, and, and um, don't get, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the troubles in Northern Ireland directly affected people like you and I on the mainland in anything like no. the way that they affected no. people in the, in Northern Ireland. The only point I'm making is that because it was saturating news coverage for a decade, yes. we're very mindful of why it was, why the Queen's visit to the Republic of Ireland at their invitation and being such a success is significant in a way. I suspect younger people who are maybe interested in the monarchy won't necessarily have the same instinctive sense of now. No, and um, I must just say, and I know that this will be very, very, very predictable of me, um, but um, you know the diplomacy in you know in her dress and in her jewels and everything, mm. uh, and so of course she did wear the girls of Great Britain and Ireland tiara um, mm. at the state banquet, and instead of wearing an order, because I think if she had, because obviously she doesn't, she didn't have an Irish order, and so if she'd worn yes. a garter, it may have been seen as sort of English supremacy or British supremacy. Exactly, so it wearing, would absolutely have been, no, yeah. So instead of wearing the garter, she had that um, harp of crystals that were sewn into the dress. Mm. I think, again, that that just captured that, mm. that mood perfectly. You know, it was, it was, it was real, I think, um, lesson in mm. diplomatic mm. dressing. Mm in the same way that her mother had in 1938 when she'd gone to to Paris and the white wardrobe mm. uh, for different reasons but you know again I think it was really you know very significant and I know that it sounds very flippant talking about the dress and the jewels and everything but I think you know when you look at that look for that state banquet it speaks volumes. I don't think it's flippant at all I think it's very powerful and I think it's something she's often perfected and of course she was also seen after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, she was seen wearing the Ukrainian colours mm. as well. And I think it's a very powerful way of making an intervention. You know, the Queen knowing that she's not there to speak in to any great depth to the geopolitical situations that she finds herself in, but her few interventions into the world of politics have been timely and I think generally welcome and helpful. And, and there was a few. There were a few, there were a few. Um, of course, again, one great momentous occasion, but one which she was very keen to downplay, was 2015 when she became the longest reigning monarch. And, yes. Um, and you can understand why. Yes, so you can, her, you really can, yeah. Yeah, because I think that because George VI died so long before, people almost not forgot him, but would forget that he was her father. Yes, rather than yes. The previous king. And yeah. so... Of course, she only became the longest reigning monarch because she'd lost her father so young. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Whereas for someone like Queen Victoria, who I mean, not I'm not saying Queen Victoria would want to play it up because I think there are limited documentary evidence that she didn't particularly either. But she'd come to the throne as the result of a death of a relatively El, not elderly, but by the standards of the well, day. Sounds, I mean, uh, William IV was over 17, although she was. Yeah. Although, yes, she'd been prevented from attending court because she did have a genuine affection for her. Yes, uncle. Uh, an um, affectionate elderly uncle is different to your prematurely, yeah. you know, your father who dies far too early, who who is the apple of your eye and 
you're the apple of his eye and you know you you absolutely dote on each other it's not a comparable situation is it no it's not but the way in which she addressed that when because she did was during the balmoral break that she was tempted out to go and open the borders railway and uh, so she did make she did make a public speech i don't think i i would guess she didn't particularly want to do that and draw attention mm. to it but she did and she did of course mention that it was um an honor to which she had never aspired um so you mm. could you know you could sense that in her but of course her sense of duty meant that she carried on and she she did that mm. we must also remember the way in which those two addresses that she gave to the nation in 2020 mm. Mm, did really you know there was the first one addressing covid specifically um mm. you know, saying that we will meet again um but then of course a few weeks later it was the um the anniversary of the e-day mm, mm. e and because of the restrictions that meant there were no public occasions and so that's why she gave an address to the nation then and again you know it, it just because she had that photograph of her father on the desk and she was saying that she was speaking you know at the same time that he had 75 years before and you know you you, mm. you i think you were struck by the fact that yes she was an elderly lady but she had she was that link to mm. that earlier age you know and so i think oh, absolutely i, I think I, all the significant events around the ending of world war ii from the 90s onwards when which is when i suppose we were starting to celebrate 50 50 years of yeah. all those things were all significant because at the time you had the queen you had the queen mother and princess margaret who were symbols during world war ii yes. and who could be with us in the commemoration so i think that i think she always understood her role not just as a as a as a as a philosophical connection which monarchy always is monarchy is always our connection to the past but as a very real personal tangible connection mm. Mm. And I mean, from, you know, from my point of view, having, you know, seen her and been to, to several occasions, there are a couple that, that really stand out. Um, and the first thing I would say is that, you know, whenever you saw her in person, there were three things that you were really struck by. Uh, the first was how short she was. Um, mm. I mean, she was never mm. tall, but obviously as she got older, she was, you know, as yeah. a lot of people do with shrink. Um, and so it was this small figure, but yet, still a commanding presence and i think that's because you know you've seen somebody so often on the television mm, or the pictures mm, mm. that when they're actually in front of you and they you know they're animate and they move yeah it's, it's something very special. but also i think as well that the, the luminosity of her skin she had flawless complexion mm. and again and again you'll you'll say this is very typical for me to say this but the jewelry because you know you generally see her outside and so therefore you you know she's wearing a brooch or and glisten in the sunlight mm, mm, and so, mm. it, you know that that it, it that would again really strike you but i tell you that a couple of things that that i do really remember is that um i was fortunate enough um to go to the order of the thistle service at st Giles right. edinburgh a couple of times when the queen was was alive and was still there and seeing her walk in the procession and the princess royal was just ahead of her now we often think about the princess royal being more like prince philip and certainly the way mm. in which she stands with her hands behind her back and, and everything she looks a lot like her father mm. in her facial features she's the image of her mother and so mm. seeing mm. together 
it, that really struck me and that's that's always stayed with me so now whenever I see the princess role mm. I do see that resemblance in her um but I must say that the one that I do remember most was her 90th birthday at Windsor um because she again hadn't wanted to make a, a you know a big public celebration because there would be trooping the color a few months later mm. which I was, you know I went to that but seeing her uh carry out a short walk about from Windsor Castle to the Guildhall mm. so we saw her you know talking uh, to people accepting flowers and um one thing I always remember which is not about the Queen, but on uh, the occasion I'll never forget. There, was, there were these two ladies there, and they were Welsh, and they were dressed as though they were going to Royal Ascot, and um, they had had a pushchair. And I assumed that it was the grandchild of one of them because mm. they were too old for it to be their child. It was the dog that was in the, in the pushchair, <laughs> uh, dressed up, um, but they had these balloons, you know, a nine and a zero for ninety. Or the nine blew away and so this woman was completely inconsolable and just oh. in the middle of the street and so all the press photographers were taking a picture and it was oh. in the newspapers the next day well anyway they did then manage to get another nine well they couldn't get another nine on its own actually so they could only get another 90 so they, did, they briefly had nine zero zero and i yeah. i said to i said to the person i was with i said they do know she's not 900 don't they yeah. But anyway, you know, we saw her. But what was, yeah. and then they came back from uh, the Guildhall in what was officially known as the state review vehicle, but uh, was known as the Queen Mobile. And so right, right, standing right. up in the back of what was a converted Range Rover and mm. waved. And the thing that was really funny is that, you know, as they went past, I'd got my camera back. I didn't manage to get a really good photograph. And, you know, there was that split second of people starting to disperse as they went past. And I was thinking, do I stay here and good to the fact that I didn't get a great because I had got some photographs they walked past but mm. didn't get a great photograph here or do I run down the side street and then try and get in front we can guess which I did can't you and so um <laughs> yeah then when I got home and was watching the, the coverage back you could see me running ahead trying to get a photograph and then running ahead a bit more trying to get another photograph mm -hmm. and it paid off because I wanted to get a good, a good photograph but what was funny is I was with um June a lady I know and um and she's she's uh she was in her 70s at the time and so there were these two, two ladies who who they, they assumed that she was my grandma but they also assumed that i'd just gone and left her she <laughs> <laughs> knew i was coming no. back but yeah that was, that was quite funny but that I, I that was very special and um i was at windsor again three years later because um her birthday happened to fall on easter day and so you know you can see members of the royal family go mm. to st george's chapel and um and she came out of uh, of the chapel and for me again that was just one of those and i managed to get a photograph of her because we sang happy birthday she came out of the chapel and again it was for me that just encapsulates everything that you you know about her mm, mm. just in the background there and you can see it because it had everything there because it had the hat the gloves the pearls the flowers you know if you were to describe her it was all of those individual mm, components mm, mm, that, mm. that you would see uh, that you'd see there um but i i must say that the thing that it, for me was most special was being there on that and I know I've spoken about this before, was there on that the day of that that last mm, balcony mm. appearance at the Platinum Jubilee. Because I was um I was with my friend Dina, because I only met him a couple of days before actually, because we met at the um service at St. Paul's Cathedral. Mm. 
because you know we've both been outside there for hours and you know swapped and he said he was going to watch uh the the pageant and um because he was going on his own got my said oh you know do you want to meet him well you know we both watched it and did and um because the queen had missed several of the occasions mm, for the mm. jubilee she hadn't been well enough to go to st paul's for the thanksgiving service and she hadn't been well enough to go to the derby and i think both of those were were significant because we all know how she took her role as the um, supreme governor of the church of england very seriously mm. and was great churchgoer and so i think that the fact she wasn't able to go to the thanksgiving service was a would have been mm, a big deal mm, for mm. her and again we all know how much she loved her horse racing and so to miss the derby again, I think was would have been significant. So we weren't expecting to see her at the pageant. Indeed, she wasn't in the royal box. Mm. But then there was a rumor that she might attend. Mm, mm. And you know, at that moment, that the royal standard was raised over Buckingham Palace. Mm. It was that real moment of everything's all right now. Mm, <laughs> it mm, is mm. as it should be. And of course, once the um, the barriers opened, even though you know we we we'd not known each other very long. But of course, we went sort of arm in arm because we didn't want to lose each other, and mm. ran down. And just then, being able to see her on the balcony, and I think, and and we sensed, I think that that might be the last time. Mm. Um, and I remember Dean saying, actually, you know, the next time we we see this might be the coronation, and indeed he was right, it was. Mm. Mm. Um, but for that moment just seeing her there and having that opportunity to sing god save the queen it was one of the last times that we did sing god, mm, save, the mm. god save the king but just having that moment i think was just extremely special and that's one of the things that i look back on and i'm so grateful that i was able to be there for that moment knowing that that was that was the last time it was the end of an era mm. uh, and being able to share in a small way. I know I, that's, I, I don't, please don't mis misrepresent me because I, I do know that I was one of hundreds of thousands in a crowd. I don't mean there's any kind of personal relationship, but just being able to be there and witness that. Mm. And, and being part, part, part of, the, of the moment and part of that moment between a queen and her people, which, as you said, really was the last time that that moment existed. And to be part of that is very special. And to share that, to share that reflection, I think, is is a probably a good way for us to draw our conversation naturally to a close. Indeed. Indeed. Well, it's been it's been lovely to have the opportunity to share those memories. And I, I hope that other people have been able to reflect and think of their own memories of Elizabeth II, because I'm sure yeah. that many people have them. And um, it's been lovely to have the chance to talk to you. And um, hopefully we'll be um, we'll be doing some more fairly soon. I think we will. I think we will watch this watch this space, Royal History Geeks, for more information on forthcoming content. Until then, take care of yourself, everybody, and I hope that you have a chance today to reflect on both the momentous occasion a year ago of of the passing of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, and also the tremendous reign and 